Hey, yo, what's going on, fam? Thank you for liking it again. This is Clarity Podcast, and, well, I'm super grateful for y'all for tuning in so often. Please do not forget to subscribe and leave me a review. I'd be massively, massively thankful to y'all. So I'm sure you've seen it in the title. Today's episode is going to be about esports. I don't know much about this industry, so I had to sit down with a very prominent and a great professional who goes by the name of Lackman Parker. He's been in this industry for quite some time, and he dropped so much knowledge on this episode that I truly can't wait for y'all guys to tune in and listen to what he had to say so well let's get to it thanks for having me on tk really looking forward to i guess digging deep into the esports realm today and really exploring some uh, performance parameters and uh, and having a chat and really introducing everything that's awesome man first things first why esports man i guess Esports, I've always been passionate about it. It's it's always been something, I guess, taking back to childhood. I've always been into games and, you know, similar to, to everyone over here in, in, in Australia. Um, it's one of those things that everyone seems to engage with. And especially the scene over here back in high school, uh, especially was pretty developed in regards to the competitiveness of tournaments. And, uh, and, you know, it was pretty much the thing to do. Everyone was making their own teams. Everyone was entering little tournaments here and there. And uh, that competitiveness was really what drove a lot of people to, to enter into esports over here. And uh, I guess that kind of, the passion for entering into different tournaments and that kind of competitiveness vibe is what I guess took me to actually pursue a Bachelor of Sport and Exercise Science, just mm. because primarily I really loved that kind of competitiveness. But then I also also had a passion for traditional sport and that kind of traditional sport uh, pathway led me uh, into esports, uh, which I was very fortunate enough to do. That's awesome, man. Um, have you have you always been a gamer in a sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely uh, got myself around pretty much all the games. Probably, you know, probably been in esports, you know, competing at some level, whether it be, you know, the, the amateur level or more so in that kind of semi-pro level for about 10 years now. You know, really stretching back to the COD 4 promo days where we were, you know, entering into tournaments online and, um, you know, being a part of the League of Legends beta, uh, which is pretty much mm. one of the most renowned games in esports nowadays. Um, so pretty much been there since the beginning, which is, I guess allowed me to see the growth of it, right? And see the growth of esports and the traction that's gained exponentially within the last five years has been fantastic. And uh, it's definitely a snowball that's uh, that's rolling down the hill and it's definitely really gonna be fantastic to see where esports goes in the next five years. Were you always into, you know, live events and online competitions and all that? It's interesting because I never actually, you know, prior to, I guess, forming a team and engaging on some competitions back in the day, I actually never went to an in-person land event. Um, just because there weren't too many, I guess, back then. Uh, it was one of those things where, I guess, m- predominantly the competitions were online. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see that kind of sh- focal shift towards tournaments uh, in person now. We have LANs, we have uh, we have eSports Opens, we have, you know, big events like DreamHack, like MSI, like Intel Extreme Masters that are primarily catered towards, you know, getting the best of the best teams uh, in one location and, you know, seeing who's the best. And I guess that's the joy, especially from an audience perspective where, fans can come and support players they can come and support teams and they can come and you know share the experience with uh, with other people that are passionate about esports as well yeah and i feel like that kind of grew the this whole bubble because then you know a lot of things were involved within esports namely like marketing and mm. ads and, and all that and so it made the whole i i feel like it kind of grew the community and it grew esports as a whole how do you feel 
the commercial side of things, kind of group esports. Yeah, the commercial side is a very interesting of things. You know, just taking away from, I guess, the core component of esports and its games, you know, marketing、mm. and stakeholders is such a crucial aspect for esports、yep. because, you know, a lot of these competitions, a lot of these organizations wouldn't exist without external stakeholders investing into the scene, right? So I guess you have to have respect for it in that regard, too. It probably wouldn't have gone through the same amount of exponential growth it has in the last five, six years if it didn't have that external backing. And I think primarily a lot of that backing comes from you know, traditional sports, for example. You know, traditional sports has taken you know, 40, 50 years to establish such a dominant popularity within you know, society nowadays. However,、yep. esports has only taken you know, less than 10 years. And I guess you know, there's so many different factors that can account towards that. You know, you've got your youth population that are you know, increasingly becoming interested in esports. You have、uh, you know, accessibility, accessibility. Terms of online, you know, tournaments that can be watched, you know, people that can join in. And there's just so much things nowadays that I guess is contributing to this growth of esports. And, you know, marketing is definitely one of those big ones that's, you know, getting out there and just getting pushed around. Speaking of that,、um, is there like anything in, in esports that bothers you about how it's done nowadays?、Mm. I think, you know, having a background on the performance side of stuff. So, you know, just traditionally, you know, I've Probably been engaged in traditional sports for you know, similar time, similarly the same time amount as I'm in esports. And that transition into esports, there's a lot more focus, I guess, in the marketing side of things in terms of, you know, take this supplement to increase your performance by doing this, or, you know, take this tablet or take this drink to increase cognitive performance in game. But, you know, when you look at it from a different perspective, there's not a lot of research that's backing that. Um, there's、right. sure there's research backing individual components and ingredients like caffeine, for example,、um, which can help with short term memory improvements, help with you know, reaction speed, help with、uh, visual acquisition, help with all those kind of things. But I guess it's, it's you know, companies trying to cash in on esports and say, hey, you know, we're making a, a game of fuel or we're making a game of supplement. So you know, take this and you know, suddenly you know, you're going to be a lot better. But you know, unfortunately, it just doesn't quite happen like that. Hmm, interesting. Do you personally have a training regimen or、uh, a way that you prepare for tournaments and games?、Um, back then, I definitely used to have something you know, a little bit more structured than I do nowadays, because nowadays, primarily, I'm just you know, in coaching and I guess you know, more so counseling and coaching professional teams, not so much as a player.、Um, mm-hmm. But definitely, I'm involved in playing you know, at, at quite a high level as well. But,、um, but definitely back then, It's interesting because you look back three or four years ago and it was literally just jump on the game, play, and try your, be- try your best. And you、yeah. know, it, was def- it was definitely a different structure to nowadays where you have physiotherapists on board a team, you have sports psychologists coming on board and、um, helping with you know, you know, different、um, psychological processes. You have, you know, there's some esports organizations who have chefs to, to cater meals for players, and it's, it's a completely、oh. different system nowadays. Um, which is really interesting to, to reflect back on because I think if you had said in you know, three or four years ago that this would have been the future, then I probably would have said you're laughing, you're joking, but you know, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I hear you, man. Crazy.、Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure I get it, but are you part of a team or are you like an independent coach who basically、mm-hmm. attends different coaching sessions? Yeah, so currently I'm,、uh, I'm contracted in with. Contracted on with the Renegades. So, Renegades is a, a professional esports organization based out of North America. 
Um, that's where okay. they kind of founded and uh, and created the organization. However, they do have a couple of teams uh, that are competing in a few different games over here in the Oceania region. So over here in Australia, we have a Counter-Strike Global Offense team and a Rocket League team. Um, so I've primarily been coaching uh, the Rocket League team. And, mm. uh, and what that coaching looks like is, uh, you know, helping to address a player's external performance. So what that might be is uh, in terms of catering towards exercise, catering towards um, sleep, catering towards hydration, um, generalized nutrition checkups. and um, So physical and, stuff. Yeah, so physical stuff um, mm. that can help a player's performance, I guess, outside of the game that can indirectly increase their game performance in-game. And then I also help to look at um, just because this year I'm also doing a postgraduate in rehabilitation counselling. So I'm taking those counselling techniques and motivational interviewing and all these types of you know, psychological skills mm. and applying it for some of these players to um, help with pressure management, help with dealing with ambivalence, helping with you know motivation, all these kind of underlying processes that add together and cater towards how an individual plays on a, on a given certain day. How do you stay motivated and how do you keep them motivated in, in that sense? <laughs> it's a good question, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's definitely one of those things, I guess, you know, looking at, I guess, esports at the elite level, um, there's such a difference between elite level and, you know, A teams versus something like a D tier team, right? So you know, just because it, it is that level of seriousness, I think that mm. seriousness drives the motivation because suddenly you're talking about, you know, teams that are best in the country, talking about teams that are best in the region. And then you get to that level where it's pretty much, you know, number one or top two worldwide. And I guess that motivation to be in that position is what, you know, drives a lot of these players' motivations and, you know, that desire to, to be the best in the region and to, to be the best at, I guess, the game that you're very passionate about. Is that how you keep yourself motivated as well? Um, so I think motivation is, is one of those things that's very individualized for the individual. And I think motivation at the elite level is you know, wanting to be the best in your region, wanting to be the best in your country, wanting to be you know, that number one team or wanting to be that number one player. Um, and I think you know, when you look at a tier A team versus a tier D team, um, you know, motivation is pretty much at the same level for both those teams, right? Because you have, you know, people that are in the lower ranks in the semi-pro divisions who aspire to be in those A teams. So that's their motivation, right? That's their motivation to get better, to work on their individual skills, their mechanics, but then also catering towards their external performance. But then you also have the motivation at the elite level where these guys are wanting to remain on top, wanting to continue the legacy that they're, that they're building. And, um, you know, that's a very special thing that a lot of these players go through that they want to just continue playing for as long as possible. It's impressive because it's a little bit, I mean, it's a lot like, mm. let's say physical sports, but it's also a completely different thing because the preparation and even just to keep your teams motivated is a whole different story because now you're not just focused on the physical aspect of things, but also the psychological and the technical mm -hmm. one. And it must be must be quite special because in your case you you've known both and um my question is what would be the main differences between the two yeah i think it's i think it's a great question and i think it's it's an argument that's been thrown around a lot nowadays the fact that are esports athletes real athletes you know what i mean mm -hmm. and exactly. i think it's because that kind of stigma relating to well you know athletes is pretty much characterized as someone who uh, goes through an X amount of degree of physical exertion, 
you know, we have a lot of, you know, soccer, football, basketball. There's a physical component that's involved and that kind of stems from that athleticism and that athleticism to perform at that high ability to run fast, to jump high, to, to throw far. And I think that kind of is gradually going through a, going through a shift. Um, especially within you know the last couple of years, there's definitely been a lot more focus surrounding esports and acknowledging players that they are indeed athletes. And you know, whilst we aren't physical athletes, we're definitely very much cognitive athletes. And you know, a lot of the things that these players do at the elite level in terms of reaction time, in terms of visual acquisition, in terms of yep. memory, um, it's definitely you know at the next level, and it's definitely um, something that's been worked upon, something that's been trained, and you know, something that can't really. You know, the average person just pick up and, you know, do the exact same thing as these guys do. I couldn't agree more. I don't know if you've seen the the, the, the TV series called Ballers. It's uh, it's about U.S. football, American football, and uh, it's with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. And um, mm. at some point, like season three or something, um, there's, you know, uh, one of his clients uh, who was a football player who is now looking to get into esports and you know when he switched they were talking about huge numbers to recruit him because he was good at what he did like playing video games and whatnot and um because of who he was and how famous he already was they were offering like crazy contracts uh do you feel like that kind of represents how things are done in real life uh to be honest probably yes Primarily mm. because when you look at traditional sports, that what's the biggest factor that separates traditional sports teams from esports, right? And that's players. You know, yep. traditional sports teams, for example, a football team may have 20 to 25 players at once. And that's probably not even including substitutes, right? Or a basketball mm-hmm. team has 15 members. But more mm-hmm. often than not, an esports team has five players or sometimes even three for Rocket League. Because there's a such reduced number of players within a team, it makes that, you know, you want to make sure that you're building the best possible team that you are. And because so you, you want to afford it, right? Exactly. And because you want to build the best possible team that you are, that you want to do, there's a lot more incentive to, I guess, pay forward and, you know, try and try and pay and get these, you know, top stars on your team. How do you feel the pandemic, you know, hit or kind of helped mm. esports in a sense because of, you know, the nature of how they're played? Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely the pandemic, you know, as unfortunate as it was, probably spurred esports growth even greater, right? Because, you know, in terms mm. of traditional sports, a lot of sports were cancelled, stadiums were closed, you know, yep. people couldn't go and attend. Uh, sports competitions and, and yeah they did make a transition to I guess eventually having you know teams play behind closed doors with no no one in the audience but you know esports doesn't really have that problem unless you have a big event unless you have like a dream hack or an MSI or an IEM where you know there's big tournaments going on but you know a lot of these tournaments could just be played online right because you know at the end of the day you're pretty much in your own room and you're in your own environment or you're in a team house where I'm sure everyone you know goes through those kind of COVID protocols, but you know, it doesn't stop. The growth doesn't stop because you're able to play, you're able to continue playing, you're able to continue practicing, and um, and I think that's where esports has uh, has definitely grown, especially in regards to I guess online services like you know YouTube streaming, Twitch streaming, um, just because a lot of people who weren't tr- you know a lot of people usually watch traditional sports, for example. However, because they didn't have that outlet and that kind of competitiveness and esports was already thriving in that scene, a lot of those people actually made the transition. Um, I know that a lot of people, you know, like to watch car racing, for example, like the Formula mm-hmm. One. And yep. uh, in esports, we have a similar thing where, you know, we have uh, 
online, you know, sim racing. Sim racing is very popular. And, you know, essentially some of the Formula One drivers actually made the shift to sim racing and were <laughs> wow, streaming that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, for sure. And it's definitely one of those things that, you know, people who are passionate about Formula One could actually go and tune in to, to see their favorite, you know, Formula One car driver actually, you know, in front of them, <laughs> you know, playing a game and, you know, doing sim racing. So, you know, create a lot more connection as well. So yeah, there's definitely been a lot of growth. For sure, it's crazy because I just remember like, it was like a year and a half ago, I was super into watching um, Aguero, like his, uh, his uh, soccer player on Twitch because he used to play FIFA mm. on Twitch and live. And you know, you got to see like the real side of him because he was just being himself. He was just joking around. He was, you know, sometimes he'd take the team that he plays in in real life and then he plays with himself. And you know, those are the yeah. things that, you know, when we were younger, uh, we'd always think about like what it was like to just be so so good and so such yeah. a prominent player that you'd have your own player like you know in video games and so yep. esports and twitch in a sense gave us the opportunity to see these players that we look up to just yeah do that and it was it was quite special to be honest because there was sessions where he would he would also call like other like famous players and just have them on the phone and ask mm. them to join him for a game and you know it it made him so much like it humanized in a sense the these yeah. football players and i felt like i never really thought about it like that deeply as in i never made it the connection with esports but that's exactly what it allowed and uh, to your point um yeah if you're into formula one and then you see your favorite driver like playing um games and you know making jokes and seeing like the real life side of them then it must be sure. special and yeah it bridges like sports and 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 real life basically yeah 100 percent. and uh and nowadays you're starting to see traditional sports organizations actually get on board with esports for example um over here we had two australian Mills football teams you know organizations mm -hmm. actually start to branch out and create their own esports, you know, team. And uh, you know, I'm not too sure well how well they've been going, but I know that they exist. And uh, you know, the fact that traditional sports, uh, you know, organisations and teams are actually starting to look at esports as another outlet, um, it's definitely an interesting avenue. It's definitely you know creates that relatability as you talked about. You know, you can see your favourite player, you can see someone that you've watched on TV actually and actually interact with them in a chat, and yeah, it definitely exactly. bridges that connection. Yeah, for real and. Do you feel like sports teams are a little bit behind uh, those that don't have their own esports team right now? Because the earlier you get in, the the better you get, right? I definitely agree that the earlier that you do start to, I guess, you know, not really take advantage as per se, but um, but you know, start to understand that it's definitely a viable avenue and it's definitely one that's going to be, you know, inevitable. Um, as we look into the next five years, I think it's definitely going to be a lot more mainstream. There's going to be a lot more outlets starting to, I guess, broadcast esports and especially like, you know, the multi-million dollar events we have, um, some of which, you know, are equivalent to the Super Bowl, for example. So, you know, wow. the viewership that some of these things get and, you know, just the, you know, the hype and the attention and, you know, the, the excitingness of these things is, is very similar to, to that of uh, traditional sports. And I think that, you know, it's, it's inevitable, um, especially within big, big uh, countries and regions such as Europe and, uh, and North America where a lot of those guys have the resources, right? They have the resources to invest into a side oh, yeah. team and uh, and see how it goes. And I mean, you know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but at least, you know, they give it a crack and they experiment and test the waters, which I think is inevitable. 
Okay, well, yeah, they got the funds at least to do it. And I mean, depending on the sport, but there are so many players that don't even have to go across like oceans or whatever. Like you can find local players who are actually really good and you can hone their skills. Yeah, it's just a matter of time before that kind of transition makes sense. And um, it ju- yeah, it just naturally makes sense in my mind for you know, the inevitable to happen, which is that kind of adoption of esports across the, across the board. Got it. What are your long-term aspirations in esports? Uh, I think for me personally, it definitely comes down to whether or not, I guess, coaching and performance coaching and, you know, player counselling becomes a lot more, how do I put it? You know, there's a lot more interest and and engagement within the scene because definitely over here in the Oceania region, Australia, New Zealand, there's not a lot of focus on the external performance and catering towards the player's health. But there's definitely mm. quite the polar opposite over in Europe and North America, where a lot of organisations, you know, as I mentioned earlier, are getting on board with physiotherapists, getting on board with, you know, external allied health professionals to help better cater towards uh, the, the performance of a player. Because at the end of the day, truth be told, uh, an esports player's career is nowhere near that of a traditional sports um, athlete. And, you know, we have a lot of guys within the scene in esports retiring at you know, mid-20s, 20, 25, 26. <laughs> Got and, it. Uh, you know, it's quite the polar opposite in in in, uh, in traditional sports where some of these guys can easily push into early 30s. And, you know, I definitely think that in my personal regard, it's, I'm trying to make it my ability to, I guess, push the forefront and be in the forefront of developing uh, the Oceania esports performance scene because I think that it's inevitable. Where and, do you uh, think that difference stems from, like, between Europe and the US or North America and Oceania? I definitely think it's, uh, again, resources. There's just a mm. lot of resources that are being flowed into those kind of uh, regions and areas. Uh, and there's a lot of stakeholders. There's a lot of investments, you know, pouring into the scene. Whereas over here, you know, we're starting to really develop it though. We're starting to get, you know, esports performance centers, for example, over in New Zealand and in Sydney. We're starting to get, you know, catered facilities designed uh, to help esports grow. Um, there's a couple of uh, universities over here in Australia that are actually getting on board with adopting an esports program, and wow. you know having their own esports cool. facilities. And uh, I know, for example, my my university, La Trobe University, actually has an esports hub. And uh, and what that looks like is you know just a couple of rows of computers, really set up, you know, really nice high tech computers where teams can actually come in and you know and scrim and, and practice. And you know just that adoption is is fantastic to see. And I think if we can start to keep pushing the esports front and keep pushing structured programs and you know, programs that are going to be implemented for, I guess, the upcoming generation and for, for the youth of, of today, it's, it's going to be inevitable. But um, I definitely am trying to make it, I guess, my goal uh, as a performance coach and to, to really just build the scene and to make sure that you know, a lot of our players are starting, to, count, uh, are starting to, to recognize the importance of addressing our external performance. Hmm. How accessible do you feel that esports are in general and how accessible do you feel like they are to minorities? It's an interesting question. I think that esports is definitely accessible to quite a lot of people. Okay. Whether or not an individual really wants to take it to the professional level and to the competitive level is probably a different question because there's a lot of you know casual gamers and recreational people who just want to jump on, for example, Counter-Strike. They just want to jump on and play a couple of games, but they don't have that underlying motivation to take it further and take it to the next level and to, to build a team, to go through all the avenues of you know, trying to join an organization and trying to you know, really take it to the next level. So in that regards, you know, esports probably 
it's definitely hard to get into, especially mm-hmm. because, as I mentioned before, there's so little slots on a professional team. And uh, and one of the big things is organizations. If there's not a lot of organizations within the space and there's not a lot of teams, then, you know, we're only looking at, you know, a couple of hundred, you know, esports, you know, professionals within the scene in Australia and probably early thousands actually count in counting in League of Legends because that's probably you know, the most predominant esports. But um, yep. it's definitely, you know, nowhere near is, is uh, in comparison to somewhere like Europe and, and North America where there's a lot more organizations um, and a lot more growth happening over there because, you know, the reality is a lot of organizations don't want to invest into a lot of games. They would rather, you know, really stick to a couple, like maybe three or two or three, or some organizations like the Renegades who are branching as, you know, five or six games and really starting to become a lot more dominant in games is, is fantastic to see. But, you know, a lot of early, you know, baseline entry level organizations are only really hyper-focused on one game. And, you know, that's troublesome because they're really relying on that one game to really start to build that organization, to start to build their, I guess, footprint within the industry. And uh, and if that team isn't successful and if they don't get a top 16 or a top eight or, you know, at a high placing, then, you know, disabandonment is, is, a, is one of the things that's really common these days where a team just disabandons after an event, disabandons after a season because they're like, oh, it doesn't work. Okay, well, let's go back to the drawing board. And... I guess they don't keep that constant investment, keep, you know, really fueling and uh, building the players from the ground level up. Uh, they'd rather try and, I guess, you know, try and get someone who's already established themselves in the scene. Sign them at up, that yeah. Level. Yeah, mm. for sure, exactly. Yep. Got it. What kind of path does one have to take to get involved with esports as a coach? It's actually a very interesting story. So coming out of finishing my Bachelor of Sport and Exercise Science, I was quite ambivalent into what pathway that looked like because most Sport and Exercise Science you know, graduates really try and pursue a traditional sport pathway, uh, whether that be exercise physiology, whether that be physiotherapy, doing a master's, for example, mm. whether that be going down the route of a strength and conditioning coach. And um, now I was really you know, quite thinking, I was pretty, pretty confirmed on being a strength and conditioning coach, but... I always, you know, I always had that passion for esports, and I just really didn't know how I was going to connect the two. And uh, and around that time, I actually got in contact with someone um, who's actually become a mentor of mine now. And uh, there was actually an honors program, and this honors program was looking at looking at esports, and it was looking at doing like a twelve month uh, contract on, you know, looking at a team and tracking their underlying physiological values. So like, you know, when a team performs, obviously in regards to you know, tracking their heart rate or tracking their breathing. And it was a project catered towards that. And I was, you know, I was interested in that, but I didn't see how that would really correlate to getting a career and, you know, what kind of outcomes I would have, especially mm-hmm. within a within a region and within a scene that's not really developed, catered towards a role like that. So I was thinking, well, that's kind of interesting because, you know, I could do that. I could get that experience working with the team and I could, you know, do those kind of stuff and more of that kind of research-based stuff. But I wasn't really passionate about research. And I was more so passionate about, you know, esports and, you know, what else is important for esports? Well, I guess the psychological part of esports and, you know, catering towards, you know, dealing with ambivalence, motivation. And so I had the opportunity to do a postgraduate in rehabilitation counselling. Now, rehabilitation counselling oh, okay. is probably not really direct in regards to esports, mm-hmm. but the skills and the stuff that you learn directly correlates, you know, for example, motivational interviewing and um, channeling and evoking emotions and really getting a really good sense of someone's uh, underlying motivation towards their, towards their life, towards their passion, towards their sport, towards their game, towards their esports, right? <laughs> and sure. so I, 
I thought I thought that could be a really good avenue. That could be fantastic. And I actually, you know, consulted um, with my mentor at the time. He said, "Yeah, definitely go, you know, the rehab route because even if you know esports the esports scene doesn't grow in the you know, next couple of years, at least you have that kind of background in rehab counselling that you can take it clinically. You know, you can work in a private practice, you can work in a in a hospital, or, you know, whatever. But then also have your arm in esports at the same time." So I said, yeah, I definitely agree. That sounds fantastic. Um, and he actually, you know, probably earlier this year, he actually reached out to me because he's a sleep psychologist for uh, another esports organization here in Australia. And he wow. reached out to me and he said, hey, you know, the Renegades are actually looking for a coach. They're looking for someone to jump on board and you know, act as their fourth man because, you know, in Rocket League, you have teams of three. They're acting, you know, looking for for a fourth man to come on board and to you know help them with game day and you know help them really you know cater towards their external performance. And uh, it was something I was really interested in. Like, okay, yeah, okay, that could be good. And uh, you know, I had a chat with the guys, and you know, Rocket League was a game I've dabbled in before, probably you know about a hundred hours worth, but I was definitely nowhere near the professional level. And uh, and it so forth just happened that you know I jumped on with these guys, we had a chat, and we pretty much clicked, clicked from day one. Yeah, hundred percent. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, well, yeah, let's just see what happens. And, you know, when's your next tournament, for example? And they actually said, oh, it's tomorrow. It's the weekend. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I jumped on board and, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. We you now obviously learning the synergies, learning the underlying, you know, foundations of Rocket League initially. And then it came to the next regional and we actually won that. So that was a really big boost. And, uh, and yeah, it's pretty much been ever since, you know, I've been helping to, to cater towards some uh, some players over in North America who are part of the Renegades as well, which has been fantastic and, and seeing some fantastic results from those guys in terms of exercise and, and catering towards adjusting exercise and sleep schedules for, you know, improving their game. And it's pretty much just started to, you know, really stockpile and grow from there, which is which has been fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome, man. You sound super excited about it. I love it. Um, <laughs> Speaking of that, um, so you, you, you talked about weekends, so I got to ask this. How did you feel your involvement with esports kind of influenced your personal life and relationships? Mm, I definitely think that, you know, because it was always a scene that I always admired to be in. Like, I always, you know, as a previous player in StarCraft, League of Legends, you know, any game that I've, I've played, I've pretty much dabbled in it. And uh, I always saw esports as, you know, something I would always watch. You know, I'd always watch the big tournaments. I'd always watch the big events. Mm. And, uh, you know, even if I wasn't really didn't know the players on the team, I'd still watch it because, you know, that I, I felt like it was enjoyable. For me. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, ever since getting on board with the team and um, I guess, you know, that we, that first weekend I jumped on board with those guys and, you know, it was a different feeling, you know, just, you know, suddenly I was a spectator and just watching, but now I was actually involved. You know, the coin had flipped and suddenly I was with these guys. I was talking with them while they were playing and, you know, 30 odd thousand people were watching them. It was like, oh, hang on, you know, we're on a different side here. And, um, you know, that involvement has really kind of spurred my motivation to really push for further and to you know, really just engage more with it. And I think that's, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Super dope, man. Uh, what kind of advice would you give someone who's trying to get into esports and either as a player or as a coach? Mm, for sure. I definitely think it's a big question. You really got to look at what approach that you're coming from. You know, first and foremost, okay. probably from a player, uh, you have to really look at, I guess, you know, what game do you want to get in regards to? You know, how much experience do you have in the game? How so should you be focused you like on one game, one single game? I think more often than not, you probably should be. If you're trying to get an esports professionally, more often than not, you'd probably want to focus on one game. 
Got it. It's not common that some of these professionals within the scene, for example, some of the guys on the Renegades team have six, seven thousand hours just invested into Rocket League. So it's you know it's a big investment, and um, you know not to say that that's going to take that long to really you know get into the scene, but definitely to really get a hand and to really kind of understand the game and the mechanics and the fundamentals, which I'm sure that anyone who's kind of ambivalent about getting into esports already has. So, you know, for those guys who already have that kind of mindset in regards to choosing a game, I think the next step is in regards to, is it team-based? You know, there's some esports that are really individualized, like StarCraft, for example, where it's a one-man army and you only need yourself and you can really compose yourself and compete at, the, at that level by yourself. But in regards to a team game, like you know, Rocket League, Counter-Strike, League of Legends, where you need a couple of other guys, then it's a matter of, do I know anyone else or am I able to outreach and, you know, try and get in contact with anyone else to, to start a team? And then I guess it's it's from there just working on the synergy and building the synergy to a to a point where it feels great and that you can start entering into into small tournaments and start entering into different tournaments and starting to really build that reputation for yourself. And I think, you know, once you've started to build a reputation where you're performing well on the leaderboards, performing well in, you know, a couple of you know, tournaments or, you know, building you know, that really big connection and synergy, that's where you can start to, I guess, approach organizations and say, Hey, you know, we're consistently competing in this tournament we're consistently performing you know top three top two you know you're coming first and some things can we we start to sort something out but i think the biggest thing is uh that a lot of esports players should be doing is saying you know we're really hyper focused on catering towards you know really performing mechanically well and really being skillful but we're also looking at our sleep and we're tracking our sleep we're also exercising we're also hydrating every day and now, if you can approach an organization already with these fundamentals ticked, you can address the pillars of performance, then that just gives you such a leverage way upon yeah. so many people that are not doing that. And, uh, and that looks fantastic because you know, you're approaching an organization with a level of seriousness where you're saying, hey, you know, I'm doing all these things outside of the game already. Yep. And, uh, yeah. and that really shows your passion for the, for the game and your passion to compete at the, at the elite level. Got it. So that's as a, as a player, mm -hmm. right? And as a coach, um, I think as a coach, you'd have to look at what uh, what angle you're coming as a coach at. So there's you know performance coaches like myself, and then there's game coaches. So a game coach would be directly more involved on the mechanics, the strategy of the game itself, and uh, and more often than not, in order to be a game coach, you'd probably have to really have a good understanding of the game. Uh, again, quite a lot of hours invested to really understand the different metas and the foundations and you know what 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 are the requirements at its core level to perform at the elite level. It's uh it's definitely not unfamiliar that a lot of players actually retire and enter into a coaching role just because they've already had that experience at the elite level. But I think you know wanting to be a coach without that experience is probably a little bit difficult. Um, it's definitely an area where you can start to build upon. But I think being able to build upon that experience again is getting on early. So getting on early with a team that's you know just just created or uh, has started to you know get some traction on the leaderboards and say, hey, you know, I've got experience doing this. You know, maybe I can start to jump on you guys. And you know, there probably won't be any salary. Like I'm being brutally honest, there probably won't be any monetary award. And at and first, it'll probably be pro bono. Um, mm. But it's definitely one of those things where experience is key, and that's crucial because then you can approach an organization uh, as a coach saying, hey, you know, I've experienced coaching this team, and uh, you know, I did this, 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 and this, and the team performed really well. And, uh, you know, being able to list those underlying traits and qualities is uh, is crucial. And, uh, and I guess from the performance side of stuff, where I'm looking at is, 
uh, you'd probably need that kind of, you know, background in something sports related, um, just because obviously there's no real, I guess, esports pathway. Mm-hmm. I know that in UK, in the UK, a colleague of mine is actually doing a master's in esports. Um, so there's definitely programs starting to appear, mm-hmm. um, which can start to be a lot more, you know, industry recognized, which mm-hmm. probably make it a little bit more easier to approach an organization saying, hey, you know, I have this, you know, degree in esports. So, so how can I do that? But it's pretty much most common nowadays that you would, you know, do some sort of sports related or psychology related degree, um, whether that be sport exercise science, whether that be sports psychology, or whether that be general, you know, normal psychology. Um, anything that's a lot more cognitive focused or catering towards performance at some degree, whether that be mm-hmm. exercise or whether that be, you know, physiotherapy or whether that be you know, psychology and more so on the cognition sort of stuff, that's where you'd be looking at uh, from a performance coach perspective. That's so dope. That's great advice, man. Thank you. Um, no worries. What's the most straightforward way to monetize your skills without joining a professional team? As a, as a young upcoming player or as someone who's just into esports but doesn't have the time to do it professionally? Yeah. Well, I think I think nowadays it's a lot different to, to what it was back then, right? Back in, you know, five, six years ago where mm-hmm. you have so many platforms, right? You have um, platforms such as, you know, Instagram or even Twitter that where you can get in and you can be involved with, you know, having a talk with other players and you can really start to build yourself in that kind of community. But I think the biggest one is in terms of content creation, right? You know, YouTube, Twitch, um, starting to provide content, starting to, I guess, drive some content, whether that be, you know, top tips for performing at this rank or, you know, top five skills required for whatever. I'm not a fan of top five, top videos, so um, that's just an example. But, um, you know, really just getting in regards to creation. And I think um, the biggest ones, especially within the Australian community and the Oceania uh, community is um, Twitch. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, even professional players who are part of organisations just stream. You know, jump on it. You know, stream for a couple of hours on Twitch and really start to build that community with themselves and start to build that interactiveness. And once they can start to build that community, um, that's where it's a lot more easier to, I guess, start to monetize in terms of you know content creation or um, starting to get you know followers and really starting to build themselves a portfolio. Because I think building a portfolio is crucial. And um, I think mm. that's probably what's required to take it to take it to the next level. If you're more so just looking towards, I guess you know, jumping on, having a bit of fun, and not really looking at esports as a whole, but more so just being a gamer and just having fun. And I think, yeah, even still, you know, Facebook live streaming or you know, Twitch live streaming or YouTube live streaming is still a fantastic avenue to go because you can start to, you know, just be on there and you know, just get out there and put yourself out there. And I think that's crucial for. A lot of players who you know just want to experience you know what it's like and uh, you know, of course you're going to have you know the first night you, you decide to go with go live you're going to have zero viewers maybe you won't but um i think not giving up is, is crucial because you see a lot of people who have the passion for esports and have the drive but but uh, but don't put in the time and, and say you know oh, i'm going to go stream for half an hour and then they don't get any views and they get discouraged and that discouragement leads to not not doing it again and i think in that regards, persistence is key and just, you know, keep chipping away, keep chipping away because you never know one night, you know, that suddenly there might be a couple of people and those couple of people might say, hey, you know, check out this guy's stream. He's actually, you know, really mm. good at this game and then kind of snowballs, right? So, you yep. know, you never know and it's just one of those things where if you have a passion for it, I'm sure that naturally comes. Patience and focus, right? Yeah, for sure. All right. Is your team competing at any upcoming event? Um, so currently, the Rocket League team is kind of on break. 
So we just finished up um, season 11 of Rocket League. Um, right. Unfortunately, we, we mm. just missed out on, on going to the World Championships, but uh, but we still put up a fantastic fight and, uh, and all props to those guys. But um, the other, there's a couple of other guys um, that are still competing at the moment, which is the, the North American Valorant team, a part of the Renegades. They pretty much have a tournament, you know, pretty much weekly. And, uh, and they just won one today, actually. So that was exciting to watch. Um, and it's, you know, it's definitely one of those things where I think the more tournaments, the better, because, you know, it puts the players in this perspective of, you know, something like traditional sports where there's kind of games and tournaments happening quite frequently. But in terms of the organization and, uh, and other avenues such as uh, Call of Duty, they have a Call of Duty team and uh, an Apex Legend team. I'm, I'm probably not too familiar with those guys just because I haven't worked with those guys as of yet. But I'm sure that, you know, once I start to work with those guys and figure out their schedule and and see what, when they're playing, then that's just more content for me to watch and enjoy with those guys as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where can people basically find out more about you, about your team? Yeah, for sure. So currently, um, I can be found on pretty much all social media platforms, but the biggest one is probably my website. So my website's MindClickers, um, where I have my podcast, and uh, and that pretty much is where I chat with uh, professional players, coaches, CEOs of organizations, and really explore esports as a whole there on mindclickers.com. Um, but on terms of where I'm most active, I guess as an individual and as a coach, you know, posting esports related content is probably Twitter at the moment. Uh, and that's at, at coach uh, underscore LBP, uh, which is, you know, my initials, Lachlan Bailey Parker. So LBP is where you can find me there. But, you know, I can be found on you know, pretty much everywhere if you type in Lachlan Parker. So it's definitely, okay. uh, it's definitely, it's definitely fantastic to, to make sure you've got some sort of social presence, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, before we, we wrap it up, how did you feel about answering all these questions? Yeah, for sure. I think it was fantastic. I definitely think that um, that esports one of these things that's developing and it's growing, and uh, it's definitely a matter of time where we start to talk about esports naturally and we start to see news about esports as the norm. So it's definitely great to jump on and to share some of my mindset and thoughts about the scene because you know I think that's crucial to, to start to you know have these conversations where you know people who aren't too familiar with esports or familiar with what the scene entails and I guess, mm-hmm. you know, some of the things we talked about, like how you jump and how, how do you be a, how do you get into the scene? How do you be a yep. player and start to evolve? And uh, how do you market yourself? And how do you look at everything from a different perspective? Uh, I think they're the conversations that need to be had. And as soon as we start having them, then it's only better for the scene as a whole. Well, man, thank you so much for dropping all this knowledge and for coming on this show. I really appreciated all the gems you dropped. So thank you so much. Yeah, for sure, man. Fantastic. Uh, it was definitely a pleasure jumping on and, uh, and spending my uh, spending my night having a chat in the body sports <laughs> something very passionate about so I can't, yeah. wait to, I can't wait to share it around and uh, yeah let's blow it up uh, that's awesome man well there you have it folks thank you for tuning in again and until next time peace